Hello, this is Chris O'Regan, and you're listening to The Sausage Factory. This is episode 448 of The Sausage Factory. In this episode, I interview Costas Rufus and Chris Brooks of Rogue Sun and ask them about the design and development of their motion projection puzzle game, Tin Hearts. When I say motion projection, I mean seeing what something will do based on where it's going to be going right now. That makes no sense, but it's very similar to Lemmings and other games of similar ilk. You let something go, it's an automaton, it doesn't do anything on its own accord. The only thing it does do is proceed to move forward relentlessly until you change its direction. So Tin Hearts is really a series of puzzles, but it's very intricately linked to a wonderful, rather heartwarming story. And that's what drew me to Tint Hearts, as well as many other things. Fully admit, I first encountered it at PAX East 2023, and that's where I managed to link up with Chris and Costas and to talk. Well, actually, I met Chris at PAX East, and uh, we chatted a great deal about Tint Hearts, and he demoed it, and I was really, really impressed, so impressed that I decided to have him on the show to talk about its creation. So would you want to hear me talk to Chris and Costas? I'm sure you do. So we just let me, from the relatively recent past, do that. Yes, Chris, please do. Take it away. Hello, Costas and Chris. Hello. Hello. Could you tell us, in that order, by the way, Costas, then Chris, who you are and what you do? Hello, my name is Costas Zarifis, and I'm the Managing and Creative Director at Rogue Sun. Uh, creators of recently launched Tin Hearts. Hey, and I'm Chris, senior producer at Rogue Sun. Also, just worked on Tin Hearts. Indeed, you have, which is why you are both here, and we thank you for that. But before we delve into Tin Hearts, and believe me, we will be in great detail, can you tell us how did you make your start making flashy, lighty video games? Yeah, so uh, for me, um, I've yeah, 
I guess it's not going to be a particularly uh, surprising origin story. I, I grew up playing video games, love loving uh, playing them, and uh, very early on, kind of uh, developing an interest around how you how you make them. Um, I'm, I guess, kind of old guard now, so I was I started programming in basic uh, on an Amstrad computer uh, when I was like nine, eight, nine years old or something like that, uh, and then. Yeah, kind of the usual story. So yeah, my background is in programming. Um, kind of when I hit my uh, late teens, I started playing um, games by well, Bullfrog at the time. And I was completely captivated by their style of uh, games. And, you know, so Dungeon Keeper, Magic Carpet, Syndicate, that kind of stuff. Uh, I just, I don't know, I just thought they were amazing and very different. Um, it's really into like the LucasArts stuff as well back then, loved the kind of old school point and click adventure games. Um, yeah, and and uh, went to uni, did kind of an engineer, a uh, computer science degree uh, back in Greece, and then uh, came to the UK, did a master's on. Uh, in games programming um, and uh, yeah I had a very clear goal of wanting to work at Linehead because of you know the old kind of bullfrog games and uh, yeah I was super lucky super lucky uh, I got hired at Linehead straight out of uni uh, worked on Fable 2 uh, Fable 3 um, and then uh, after that I started doing my own stuff um, and kind of fast forward 10 years later and uh, yeah Rogue Sun um, <clears throat> kind of became a thing, I guess. So that's my origin story. Fantastic. Thanks. Well, quite storied. And I recognise a lot of those games I share. I also had an Amstrad as a kid, so nice, I, can re- nice. I, I can relate. Chris, please do tell us, how, where do you make your start making video games? Well, it certainly didn't start with an Amstrad story because <laughs> I'm a little bit younger than Costas. Uh, <laughs> But uh, yeah, for me, I um, when I when I was at school, I was a massive fan of Stargate SG One, which is probably the nerdiest thing. <laughs> um, and I thought it was criminal that there was no Stargate game out on the market at the time, and I don't think there is even still to this day officially. Um, so I found a a group of like minded people on the internet forums as was common then, and uh, built a Half-Life 2 mod uh, of uh, in the Stargate universe. Um, it was kind of weird. It felt like really different to <laughs> actual game development now. Um, but yeah, still, it's still around. It's called Stargate The Last Stand. You can find it on ModDB. There's probably no servers running, um, but I really enjoyed working on that. And from that point, I... I was kind of naive and didn't really think making games was a legitimate career choice but when it came to choosing university courses and that I stumbled across a couple and followed that path and um, did a games development degree at Solent University it was one of the first years they'd ever done it and the rest is kind of history since then I've, I've worked at Jagex I worked at a few different publishers in um, the UK and Ireland and a few years ago, I had the pleasure to start working with Costas and the team at Rogue Sun, and here we are today. Then this question's a bit of an open-ended one, and you can either independent, independently or individually, I should say, or maybe as Rogue Sun, maybe both. 
But I have to ask, as creators of things, what do you believe are your biggest influences? Well, Shall I go first? <laughs> yeah, go for it. Um, so certainly for me, I already mentioned, you know, kind of growing up, some, some of the influences back then, and uh, obviously it's a fast-moving landscape, and uh, it's very interesting kind of over the decades, I guess, for me uh, to, to notice how the, the trends change, uh, whether it's kind of platforms or genres or, um, you know, the types of technology that enable, uh, you know, gaming, because we talked about seven colors a, a little while ago. And now, you know, we're seeing developments, you know, when it comes to like hardware and peripherals. And, you know, we, we saw the, the Wii and uh, Kinect and, um, you know, VR making a resurgence and, you um, you know, kinds of developments now in the AI space. Um, so, yeah, you, you definitely have to um, sort of stay on top of the trends uh, when it comes to influences. I think when it comes to uh, putting something out there in the market that uh, obviously is going to be uh, strong commercially because at the end of the day, yes, we love what we do, but uh, it's also a commercial endeavor. So you need to be aware of these things. Uh, but, yeah, I think you also have to kind of bring something of yourself to it as well um to to stand out um and you know kind of make that personal connection with the with the audience um so yeah that's kind of what we i think i guess i'm now uh, answering as a rogue son but uh as creative director you know there is a lot of uh, sort of that direction into the projects we do obviously it's always saying uh, kind of team effort and it's shaped by the output of everyone on the team um but yeah, we—that's kind of I would say the, the sort of top line sort of strategy when it comes to how we influence ourselves in the in the games. Would you make sure they're authentic and there's a lot of ourselves in there in terms of what we feel is uh, valuable and important to conveying uh, in a in a video game, uh, and also kind of you know take note of kind of trends and see I guess where the where the balance uh, lies there. But in terms of influences, you know, we look at anything and everything, you know, cinema, books, games, obviously. Uh, I'm a strong believer of, like, you need to step outside of the strict confines of the medium itself to to find, you know, the best kind of uh, inspira- inspiration and influences. So, you know, we, and, it, and it's a philosophy that I try to, I aspire to myself and, you know, kind of try to spread uh, across the team. You know, yes, of course, look at, games uh what's happening uh in in games but um you know always look look outside of, of that particular box as well um you, Chris? Well, yeah it certainly shows in tin hearts i've got to say but yeah do do carry on chris what, what's your personal thing you orbit whether you like it or not yeah personally um i kind of already touched on it in a way i is i've always been a fan of the half-life series and I is one of the it's probably one of the first games I ever really connected with and it's the way that they tell a story in and in a fully immersive way it's not you're not interrupted for a cutscene it the journey the story in the world evolves around you as Gordon Freeman but you never see Gordon Freeman so you only have your own imagining of what he looks like um and I really just connect with that way of, of telling stories in games. And I think uh, to a degree, 
There's been some of that in, in Tin Hearts in the way the narrative plays around you, which uh, I'm really proud of that you know, we've done. Um, yeah, and other than that, I love sci-fi. I grew up in the 90s, really, as a kid. Um, big influence, big movies like The Matrix and, um, oh, Lord, so many. Like Toy Story, for example. I, I was a, That was, I think, one of the first or, or the first... Uh, feature-length animated film that came out and I remember that being huge for me when I was younger and it's kind of funny that now we're releasing a game that's so focused around toys and that definitely was an influence for us at uh, at the studio as well as for me personally. Next question then. And again, this is probably an individual one rather than a group thing. What video game developer do you admire most and why? Ooh. <laughs> Let's all let's alternate, Chrissy. You can yeah yeah yeah. You can go for, go first, Chris. Um, as a, you mean generally as a studio or an individual? So both. You can also have multiple answers because okay. it's unfair to take just one and go. There you go. They are the the zenith of, of all things. I see. I don't. I don't. I don't personally relate too hard with any individual video game developer but if i was going to name drop an individual it would probably be chris sawyer i think is the right name for the roller coaster tycoon series which i've definitely spent far too many hours across my life in and it's brilliant and um, yeah i'm talking about the original the first two games that came out that were um in the big box copies i used to love those but in more in in kind of the wider terms and in more modern terms i really like what uh, Respawn have been doing recently. I love the new Star Wars games they've put out, and one just recently. Um, and the Titanfall series is one. I feel like they're one of the, the studios that whatever they'd release at the moment, I would rush out and buy. <laughs> um, yeah, which I can't really say for anyone else. Uh, so yeah, that would be mine. What about you, Costas? Who, who do you point out and go, you there, you carry on what you're doing, you're very good? Uh... I think yeah, too too many to name. It's, it's like I said earlier, you know. It's, it's uh, with with the with the growth of the medium, mostly you see uh, established creators kind of you know reinventing themselves or sort of doubling down on what they're good at. Um, and then yeah, so much kind of new talent, uh, you know, from I guess from the sort of indie uh, space. So yeah, in AAA, uh, massive fan of uh, Insomniac. Uh, the yeah, the, I've, I've played the latest Spider-Man games to death. I uh, can't wait for the new one. Uh, yeah, Respawn, uh, great uh, great shout there from Chris as well. Um, obviously, um, Naughty Dog, uh, got a massive soft spot for them uh, and everything they do. Uh, the last one Same. games. Uh, <laughs> uh, Uncharted, the Uncharted series. Um yeah, I mean, I, I think they just kind of represent sort of the best of like what AAA to, kind of to me is um, in terms of like just insane production values and uh, amazing stories as well. Yeah, I'm really into kind of narrative and storytelling in, in games and, um, you know, I think both Insomniac and um, Naughty Dog are very good at sort of uh, putting out amazing stories in their products uh, and pairing them up with uh, really fun gameplay as well. Uh, in the more kind of indie space, um, I really like, uh, I've, I've been a huge fan of uh, Jonathan Blow's work since 
braid uh, then the witness uh, goes far as saying the witness is probably my favorite game of all time uh, well I, I I like to say the witness is my favorite game of my 30s and half-life 2 was my favorite game of my 20s um uh, and Lucas Pope as well is is another one uh, that I really uh, adore his work uh Obradin, uh papers please yeah uh, just just name dropping a few i mean like i say there's so so much good content out there so many good games to be inspired by uh these days which is yeah we're lucky as gamers uh as game developers it means a lot of competition <laughs> but uh yeah uh you know it is what it is and you know we do our best to stand out in what we do and being inspired by uh these people and these teams certainly helps yeah it certainly does. This is why I always ask that question of developers, knowing, recognizing they're not living in a bubble and they recognize the efforts of others. Speaking of not living in a bubble, it's my last question of the first half. And here we go. What are you playing right now? Yeah, what am I playing right now? Because obviously uh, it's been quite intense with the launch of Tin Hearts. So I've been playing a lot of Tin Hearts as, as part of, you know, of course, yeah. And, um i'm trying to so yeah actually i did go back to uh uh jedi fallen fallen order got swept up in the excitement uh remembered for the new one i remember i haven't finished the first one so i've been playing that a bit on and off um yeah quite enjoying it um i'm trying to remember um i actually only recently finished the last of us part two um i you know, I want to say like three months ago, I was just absolutely completely blown away by that. Um, but I feel like there's uh, there's something else as well that I've been playing. Um, I've got I've got two young boys, so we do a lot of kind of uh, playing things together. Um, you know, just just passing the controller around, um, and we've been doing we've we've been doing that with Tin Hearts actually recently, and that's been an amazing kind of experience to to see them work through the puzzles. Uh, and you know, actually, not have to help them that much, which is uh, very cool. Um, yeah, we 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 played the first Zelda or Breath of the Wild, anyway, not the first, but uh, the previous Zelda, um, and we're very much looking forward to, to doing the same thing now with a new one. Because um, yeah, that's also like the kind of game where you can pass the controller around and kind of you know, we love the shrines and. Um, yeah, there's a there's a big appreciation for kind of puzzle solving <laughs> in the family. I guess you, you can probably tell from the game we put out as well. Uh, mm. But yeah, with the shrines was just like uh, definitely a highlight um, of the first game. So yeah, very much looking forward to kind of getting lost in that again with the new one. Chris, what have you been distracting yourself with? Yeah, um, the last game I played other than Tin Hearts was uh, Jedi Survivor, which I. I don't know, a few hours in and looking forward to playing more. Um, And also The Last of Us 2, I've been trying to catch up on and Costas has been advocating how good it is. And I wholeheartedly agree. I find it amazing how the, just the way that Naughty Dog tells stories is so good and there's nothing like revolutionary in the gameplay, but yet it's still so fun and enjoyable to play Mm. that you just, yeah, every minute I have, I'm, trying to play more um 
and yeah, with Variety, I was I was away and took the switch with me um, uh, a few weeks ago and did some party games. So Mario Party is great on the switch. I love that. If you've got a few friends together, and of course, uh, classic Mario Kart as well. So a bit of a range there. Yeah, Mario Party, the world's most obscure and weird board game thing. Yeah. It's like that doesn't make any sense. I know, great, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love it. Do you know what? In Mario Party specifically, I love how even when you think you're going to lose, somehow the tables turn and then they yep. win at the end. And I just think that's absolutely brilliant insight. The whole game is just one big fat blue shell. Anyway, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> let yeah. us uh, park part one there. Thank you very much, gentlemen. We shall now move on to part two, where we'll be delving deep into Tin Hearts. First question isn't a question, it's a request, really. We can't talk about Tin Hearts until we have an understanding of what it is, at least what you think it is. I might chip in and go, maybe it's also this. But both of you, either of you, have a go. Tell us, what is Tin Hearts? So I like to describe Tin Hearts as a mix between uh, Lemmings, uh, Edith Finch, uh, The Witness, and a bit of... Um, Charles Dickens and A Christmas Carol. Uh, that's usually kind of how I, uh, you know, try to paint a quick picture for for people. Um, it's it's a it's a game. Are you playing first person? So it feels a little bit um, like a walking simulator. You know, like I guess that's the kind of Edith Finch uh, sort of uh, connotations there. And then, yeah, it's a heavy sort of narrative focused game. Uh, but at its core, it's a it's a puzzle game. Um, you know, you solve puzzles, um, and the sort of core mechanic mechanic is you guide these little toy soldiers from the magical box to the magical exit. Um, so, if you've been kind of very abstractive, that's all the game is about. Uh, but uh, as we're very happy to read in reviews, uh, <laughs> you know, a lot of the reviews we've been seeing popping up now since the game's launch. Um, you know, it's, it's always really nice to see people going, oh, my God, like, I'd never 
kind of expected uh you know like this game is not what you think it is um so yeah when it comes to you kind of describing the game i like to sort of leave it there because yeah a lot of it is actually in you know it's it's going on your own kind of journey of discovery of of what the game is um and yeah it does have these elements that i mentioned but then kind of the the sort of some of its parts it's it's something kind of very unique and different absolutely i think it does uh be, be wrong to reveal any content because every, every bit matters and we're very much into abstract on this show if you want spoiler fun go listen to kane and rinse but uh not 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 here friends um sure tin hearts will feature in a future episode of sorry future issue sorry leon uh of kane and rinse uh, i'll make sure that happens chris do you want to expand on that or we should we move on well, of course, I'd mirror everything. <laughs> but uh, I, I think there's a few, like, like one thing we discovered through the last year is actually it is a really hard game to explain what it is because it is so much. There's, there's a lot to it. There's obviously the puzzle element. There's this story, which uh, we don't want to give away too much about it. Um, Costas gave a nice summary of what you can expect. Um, but also I think what it is, is it kind of harks back a little bit. It's a little bit nostalgic in not just the theme, but in the way that it's been. I think uh, I've had several comments said to me at the various events I've been to that it reminds them of the days of like getting the PC gamer demo disc and you put it in and it would feel like a special experience and, um, you know, we've done demos and things that would, would make it feel like that, that were quite extended. And um, I, if, to me, it feels like a game that could, in the best way, could have come out maybe 15 years ago. And in terms of the way that it's been put together um, for all of the best, like capture all the best things about then. Whereas now, uh, as we touched earlier, like there's so many games coming out and everything's a rush. And it's trying to put you straight in the action. This is—it's a little bit slower. It, you can, you can savor it, and it's not a hugely long experience that you can never finish. But um, it just feels nice. And you are guiding little tin soldiers, and they move just once they once you let them go, off they mm-hmm. off they pop, just wandering in a straight line, and similar to lemmings in many regards. Uh, if uh, the older listeners might know that reference, or indeed any, because it's quite a famous franchise, despite it being long since been mothballed. But it's it's the, a, a mechanic of, and I believe Mario does some uh, some games based on this concept too, of actually just letting go of miniatures of himself, and I can't remember what the name of the game is, but it just off they go, um, marching away, and that's something that the player has to do. They have to guide these little soldiers, all of them, by the way, all of them. No, not just two or three, and it explode the rest of them. I know, I look at you now. No, we all did it. We all did it. Um, all of them into a doorway. So they pop out of a box, and then they march along, and it's just this beautifully lit, warm, at least initially anyway, um, environment uh, that you're in this sort of like workshop, and you're guiding these these little fellows all over the place, all over your workshop, into various doing various things. And it's what... I want you to talk about because at the beginning you're onboarding, want of a better word, a terrible phrase, but learning the tutorial. The you really do a really good job of explaining the concept of the game because it is quite. It'd be so easy to launch into like, oh, there's here's some blocks, here's some soldiers, off you pop, 
you know, and it that wouldn't have, you know, there's some difficult to fathom concepts. So as you get into it, when you read, read that, just at that point, very rapidly, you then start expanding the environments over which the soldiers are marching. So in Tin Hearts, it is possible, at least I've found myself, losing track of what I'm supposed to be doing. <laughs> and what do you do in the design, to the, the, in the visuals or in the interface, to make sure that the player has a sense of centre? Not so much purpose, but more to the point, always know there's the door and there's the box. How do I get them from there to there and make sure they have that? Because it would be so easy to become confused and then frustrated, which is not a good thing for a puzzle game. And that's, that's, I mean, some, some games are built around frustration. We all know this, but not Tin Hearts. So what have you done to alleviate that problem? Definitely some games are built around frustration and uh yeah we don't want to be the the dark souls of, of puzzle games um no. so it sounds like <laughs> it, although it is so Tin hearts is a very challenging game uh we we think anyway it's a it's it's a it's it's not a it's not an easy uh puzzle game uh but what we what our goal was with the um design of the puzzles um and i guess the design of the difficulty curve was to to be very gradual um and my i i like to use the phrase you know leave no man or woman behind basically um and it's a bit of a risky approach because in our head we want everyone uh, and i mentioned earlier you know how uh my uh my very young kids uh, are playing through the game and enjoying and, you know, figuring out the puzzles on their own. Uh, and and that is because, you know, we've employed this approach of kind of um, arm everyone, regardless of their background, with the tools they need to take on even the most challenging of levels in the game. And believe you me, once you get to Act 3 and Act 4, the later uh, puzzles are uh, extremely uh, demanding in terms of uh, kind of problem solving and critical thinking and sort of all the things you said, environmental awareness. Um, and yeah, we talked about lemmings and, you know, there have been attempts in the past to kind of bring lemmings uh, into the 3D space. And, you know, there's the reason why I don't think anyone remembers any good kind of 3D lemmings games. It's a very difficult problem from um from a from a design point of view uh, to solve um and because that alone was difficult we thought why don't we throw a bit of narrative in there as well and kind of make it all take place in a space that actually needs to make sense from not even a narrative gameplay point of view but also kind of architecturally because this is sort of this is a living space where people were saying people used to live uh or live and um and it all kind of needs to kind of make sense it's not an abstract sort of you know floating platforms or whatever so uh we yeah that's that's kind of how we approach things if if one thing is on its own is challenging enough then we throw another couple of you know challenging things in there as well just to you know just for laughs <laughs> but um no it's it's worked out i think the the secret sauce really in this recipe is um well, there's a, few, there's a few things. I don't think there's a silver bullet. I mean, we 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 have a very good uh, design team, uh, so we always start start with strong concepts um, and kind of prototype ideas very quickly. Um, but then we iterate and we play test, uh, and we observe and we adapt. Uh, you know, 
and and I think you know if there is a secret sauce, that's that's it. Like you you can start with the strongest concepts, uh, and in practice, it might end up to like not quite work exactly uh, how you envisioned it. Um, so you know you need to have the sort of clarity to to adapt and adjust and you know and and and, and make the right calls in terms of how you adapt and you know how you don't compromise as well to the extent where you know you've lost that initial vision, but making sure that. Um, you know, you're not frustrating people, as you were saying. Um, so just to kind of ground that, because I know it went, I went a bit theoretical there, uh, but just to ground that with some practical examples um, and to go back to what you were saying about, you know, how, how you center players and how you make it easy for them to, because there's a lot of, you know, I mentioned these living spaces, they're large spaces as the game evolves. Um, so there's a lot of kind of cognitive sort of overload or potential cognitive overload the one mechanic we were very keen on uh, developing pretty early on was the what we call internally the pathing system. So when you pause time, uh, immediately you see this this line sort of float out of your battalion of uh, of soldiers. So that's that's a that's a great way where we kind of it, we, we, with a, with a push of a button we kind of sort of make all of that sort of cognitive kind of aesthetic sort of overload. Uh, fade away into the background and now you can just focus on the sort of task at hand uh, and and just kind of focus on the important sort of uh, interactive parts of the level that really um, are the relevant things to when it comes to the puzzle solving. Um, but it's done in a really nice way where, you, you know, it doesn't break your immersion. You still feel very grounded uh, in this Victorian kind of alternate Victorian sort of world. Uh, so that was one thing that, you know, from a, from a technical Point of view it was a big investment uh because um we, well we basically had to roll out our, our own physics engine to make this work uh properly uh like a fully deterministic physics engine where you know this path is what is exactly what the soldiers follow um as opposed to rely uh to unity's physics which is the engine the game is developed uh with um yeah, so that's one thing. Another thing I already mentioned, actually, the time control mechanics. Um, time is a very kind of big theme in the narrative of the game as well. So that's another thing. We always kind of try to make everything consistent in terms of how the narrative and the gameplay, the mechanics sort of go hand in hand. But it, yeah, from a from a from a UX point of view, it is it is a massive aid to the to the user when it comes to the experience. Um, you know, not overwhelming them, making sure you can easily correct mistakes, making sure when you know what you need to do, you can just kind of fast track through the solution, and yeah, just pausing time entirely, like I say, and just kind of you know looking at things from a very sort of almost like two D. You know, we 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 flatten out all that information, all that overload into this is the line. All you need to worry about is just managing this line through this environment. Um, so yeah, that's that's kind of um, some things, I guess, practical things. But yeah, it's a it's a lot of things. Like I say, it's playtesting, observation, and adjusting things constantly to to find that balance of challenge and enjoyment. Next question is about the animation. I was quite surprised when I first saw Tin Hearts. When I thought, "Well, these are Tin Soldiers." Okay, are they going to? But they generally there's some conceit here because they don't really move like actual Tin Soldiers. They're not as mechanical or stiff or or as lumbering, and even their little hats wobble around. They're sort of like they're not Tin in a traditional sense. Why? 
shall I take that as well? Yeah. I think you should take that one. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I've I've had a. I've I've dipped my toes in very much, even though, like I said, I'm a, I'm a coder, but uh, I've I've been working very closely with the animation team on, on this project. It's 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 actually animation on this project is, is a very interesting uh, component of the game because we we've used the a mix of techniques because um, we have human-like characters in the in our cutscenes, so there's a, a fair amount of motion capture there actually. Um, with our voice actors, with ourselves, uh, sometimes, um, and then obviously, yeah, there's the the the, the, the soldiers, the toy soldiers, and uh, kind of other characters or quote unquote characters like the Jack in the Box and you know character with the spiders, who aren't really real or realistic. And you know, we definitely wanted to go with the more sort of I guess Pixar kind of approach when it comes to or you know Disney kind of sort of. Um, very very cute and very i guess kind of toy like uh obviously but yeah not necessarily representative of you know their physical kind of counterparts it was very much more about kind of the getting the character the character of the of uh of, of the character across the personality i guess um and yeah even though much like lemmings and you know it's amazing in lemmings how you know they've used those eight pixels or whatever it is to you know, convey an entire kind of personality of this of this mindless creature that just you know walks forward. Um, and yeah, with with the toy soldiers, we try to do the same. Obviously, in in Act Two, a little bit of spoiler, you get to actually control one of them directly, and you know he has kind of his own set of animations as well. And um, yeah, with everything, like I say, we try to kind of get that story across. And and you know, you can there's so much so many tools at our uh, disposal when it comes to to telling the story, everything from animation to environment, to obviously, you know the cutscenes, uh, the human-like characters, and all that. But yeah, even even things that wouldn't necessarily appear obvious as storytelling vehicles, you know, we 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 employ everything. To, and yeah, like I say, you know, it it seems to be working really well. It's nice to read the reviews where people say you just feel like you're there. Basically, everything works together to to create this this immersive sort of victorian uh world the the prologue story that um was narrated by stephen fry you can watch it on youtube and that covers a lot of uh the point this concert was just talking about with the the toys actually kind of have a a life unto them, themselves um and you get a bit of the journey on why why can you directly control one of the little soldier dudes who we call Mr. Soldier? And um yeah, the different characters, the to- the different toy characters in the game. We've spoken about a lot about narrative, but we haven't we've danced around it because we don't want to reveal any content of it. However, we can talk about its implementation. Again, it sounds cold, but I'm just fascinated by how you managed to create a narrative no a, a logic, a, a thread, which a player can follow in discrete components. And how much did you find, how did, how did you measure how much you could reveal to the player as they progressed? What was that kind of thinking? How did you, because sometimes it's barely a sentence uttered or a note is revealed or something. And sometimes a huge like engagement between other characters and people occur what have you done to know when to drop this amount versus 
X amount. How did you do that for a puzzle game? That's what I'm fascinated by. It's, it's, it's a little bit more straightforward for other games, although I'm sort of developers now yelling at me going, how can you possibly say that? But for this particular genre, it's, it's unique. It's different. It's a different approach. I'm just curious about how you managed to develop that aspect. So there was from very early on, once we started asking ourselves, so we, we, we had a gameplay prototype. Right, that was a purely, um, you know, no narrative grounding to it. Um, and then for some reason, that uh, we had toy soldiers. We had toy soldiers in that game, gameplay prototype. I, I don't even, I can't even remember why. Um, but then we started asking this question. You know, like I said, I, I myself and and others uh, on the team at the time, you know, very passionate about storytelling. So. We couldn't help ourselves to start asking this question of like why why is it toy soldiers and and actually from answering this question uh the entire narrative you know very specific kind of stories is not it's not random or you know uh, or abstract in the way it kind of tells uh the story it wants to tell um but it was it was in it was kind of an iterative sort of asking questions about okay who who built them um you know when did he live you know um uh, what's his situation um and um yeah and then you know like i say kind of um always put a bit of your yourself or your situation in in there or you know direct or indirect um and then that's when we ended up with the with a story structure for tin hearts then to answer your actual question, uh, we had we had this story structure, and then we had a set of kind of mechanics uh, that that made sense to us in terms of how we keep this experience fresh. Because that was another pillar of our development process was it needs to feel fresh. Um, you know, if it's a five hour game, a ten hour game, which is actually what ended up ended up being, it's in that sort of ten hour um, range you know hour one needs to feel different to hour two to hour three to hour nine to hour ten um so it needs to keep surprising and delighting the player with the uh with the things it keeps throwing at them both from a story point of view but a mechanics point of view as well um so yeah the, and again we we see this in reviews and you know very happy that you know it's um players have connected with that aspect of the experience um to do that in a way that feels consistent and seamless and it's the right pace um again you know it's it's a lot of kind of uh obviously starting with strong concepts uh but then just just sort of tweaking and fine-tuning based on observations now with um with the sort of ux of things and the puzzle design and stuff like that you have quite a few opportunities i guess uh during the development process to adjust when it comes to story structure unless you're naughty dog going back to you know what we we're talking about earlier you probably don't have that many opportunities so um you know and, and we have i remember kind of late in the process uh we had a level that was that was a bit of a um it was a cut it was a cut risk um and it had a big narrative beat in it and i was panicking i was like well but if we drop this then all of this stuff doesn't make sense or it kind of does make sense but it doesn't feel as impactful um and i mean in the end you know we managed to keep it but it's the sort of things that you know you struggle with as a as a you know as an indie studio i guess with not with that doesn't have the resources to adapt uh as quickly when it comes to scoping up or down um 
so yeah it's it's a it's a difficult problem uh and it's a combination of you know having um it's a combination of all kinds of different disciplines because yes you still need to adapt you know it's it's unless you know you you're the most amazing writer you you're probably going to have to uh and and designer you know you're probably going to have to adapt um so then you know obviously your production schedule needs to 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 take that into account but then yeah like i said earlier also the way you adapt uh you know there might be ways you can salvage uh things uh, as you as you pivot um it's yeah it's not an easy problem and i'm not sure i'm giving a solution to this problem but uh yeah i think for every project there would be a different answer anyway last question then i oh, know all good things must come to an end but here we are <laughs> player experimentation them sort of like what if i just bounced it off of that clock thing then they can just bounce off there and then go and i don't have to put a block there at all that, that kind of thing I do remember picking up an achievement really. Oh, well, there you go. Well done. <laughs> look, see, look, you, you did that. Well done. What do you do to encourage that kind of uh, attitude? Related to the first question, but this is not about confusion. This is about that endorphin reward. And I see, yeah, yeah, you're, you're not a moron. Go you, go you, player. So that kind of like, you know, beating the developer, overcoming, like, see, look, I, I cheated them, even though, you knew that was like you facilitated that. Or maybe you didn't. Maybe it's a surprise that you didn't realise it could be done. What have you done to encourage that kind of behaviour? I, I I just want to say I love this question because I think play is so important to people's like learning and growth as, as a person generally in life. But I, even a lot of games these days are so structured and, and linear that... Um, you're not really you're playing a game but you're not really playing it's true like the concept of play is kind of being unstructured and discovering and learning and having fun while doing it um so i just i really like that you brought this question up because even though a lot of our the puzzles in tin hearts you know you have to get from a to b and those those two places don't change it's nice that you know people can find their own way around it but anyway, I'd love Costas to answer this question because he would do a much better job than I will. <laughs> no, that's a, that's a great excuse me. That's a great answer, actually. And yeah, you're absolutely right, Chris. In that, even and and you also, Chris, mentioned it uh, at the start of this conversation about the onboarding. You know, we, um, you know, what Chris said there about the kind of the structure we put around play. Even when we do that, because we kind of have to teach you, I guess, some things so you can play the game. Uh, we still try to put you at the sort of driver's seat, right? It, every uh, level in Tin Hearts is a puzzle. You, you know, in, as soon as you start the game, you're solving, you, you need to apply critical thinking. In fact, in fact, the, the very first level, um, you know, we had to design multiple times because, you know, it, it, it includes um, a relatively, it's really funny because, you know, we've seen people just solve it immediately. And then we've seen people, you know, struggle with it uh, to, to the point of frustration and we had to kind of uh introduce kind of soft uh nudges in there to to make sure that people don't get frustrated but it is it is you know a lot of people i guess like chris was saying uh, this day and age and it, and it also goes back to what chris said earlier which i fully agree with about kind of it feels a bit old school but in the best of ways um you know a lot of people these days maybe expect kind of you know that very handholdy tutorial that very sort of you know, okay, now you did this, now do press this button next and the thing will happen. And 
Um, and we don't really do that um, in the game for better or worse. And I, well, I think it's for better, certainly, in, you know, like I say, certainly the majority of the re player reaction seems to agree. Um, but yeah, putting putting the player uh, at the center when it comes to their experimentation and, you know, feeling like they're fully in control. Um, so yeah, that's very much kind of the general design approach uh, with everything in the game. Um, you know, and I, I, I'd like to call it, you know, the Zelda uh, approach really where you know you you but Zelda games are brilliant at that where you see a, a problem and it's like I'm not it's how do I do this there's no way I can do this and then they give you the tool and you're like oh right this now I can combine this with this and I can go back to that thing and now I can use this thing to do the thing um and it's basically a tutorial but you know you never it, it's you solving a problem and applying newfound knowledge uh, in a context that makes sense, um, which is the best way to convey information, like Chris said, in any walk of life, not just games. Um, in there's terms like, of there's like puzzles within our puzzles as well. I was watching a streamer play the other day, and I just a small one, just clicked on a random stream and was watching them finish uh, the garden level. And within the scene, we go, what do I do? I try this. They experiment a few times, but it's, they eventually get the solution and you just see the pure joy of like, oh, that's so clever. And you do this and that. And that, and, that. and it's, I, yeah, I think that's like the best thing about Tin Hearts is just the feeling you get when you get those little aha moments. Yeah. Um, when, yeah. Sorry. Chris, oh, yeah. Just... Uh, no, I was, was going to say that it was fine because I was going to, um, um, talk about a very similar experience I had yesterday watching a streamer where uh, I was itching to they were struggling with something and I was itching to say do this, this is the correct solution and then they did something that I'd never seen before and it worked and I was like oh wow okay so I guess you can solve it that way as well and you know it's it's brilliant obviously you know part of the kind of expansive fully realized 3D environments is that you know there will be ways to uh, solve the puzzles in ways that we haven't anticipated so that's really cool to see um, during development and to kind of final answer to that question we've also noticed kind of um, patterns of behavior where um, we didn't expect but uh, you know they were quite amusing or interesting or and you know we've we've attached um, achievements to those you mentioned one Chris earlier um, my my kids just unlocked the get get in the bin achievement, which is one of my favorite <laughs> achievements. Uh, the other day, and they just couldn't stop laughing. Uh, basically, you get this if you drop accidentally or on purpose. It's a secret achievement, so sorry for spoiling it for any achievement hunters out there. But uh, it kind of makes sense in this context. If you if you drop a soldier in any of the bins in the game, you, you get this achievement. And like my kids were, oh, that was very amusing. <laughs> she <Shit> is obviously. <laughs> Oh, this is a wonderful response, and uh, what a way to sign off! Because Tin Hearts, everyone, has been developed by Rogue Sun. Now I have to ask, where does the name Rogue Sun come from? Oh yeah, so I think it was back to 2016, where where we were trying to find a domain that was available, and right. it didn't sound uh, absolutely horrible. Uh, and uh, it turns out, you know, it's a very hard problem to solve. Uh, and yeah, Rogue Sun just kind of uh, was one of those ones that you know we 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 all liked and was available. Uh, we had other options as well, but yeah, like say they weren't available or we didn't like as much. So um, there's no there's no <laughs> super exciting story. I guess, you know, we the reason why we like the, the Rogue Sun uh, name as well, I guess, if to actually romanticize that story a little bit as well, was that, yeah, I guess as a new 
newly established studio out of uh, Lionhead uh, Veterans. Uh, at the time, you know, we kind of so we we'd see ourselves as a bit of a rogue element. You know, we didn't want to sort of step on the um, you know trodden kind of path. Uh, you know, kind of chart new uh, new directions with with our products, which I think you know Tin Hearts very much does. Uh, but then, you know, also still kind of burn very brightly uh, for for the world to see. So yeah, that's the sun kind of part, I guess. Um, yeah, that's that's how I imagine it anyway in my head. Great <laughs> so. answer, great answer. This is published by Wide Productions. And what is, platforms is Tin Hearts available on? Um, PC, uh, so Steam, Epic Game Store. How, how long have you got? So I keep going. GOG, PlayStation Four, PlayStation Five, all of the Xboxes. They're too numerous to list. Yeah. And Nintendo Switch. And we are planning to launch uh, a VR edition of the game later this year. Excellent, excellent. Well, Chris and Costa, it's been wonderful having you both on the show. It genuinely has it's been very. Open and honest about the design and development of Tin Hearts. It's a wonderful game, everyone. Do check it out. Uh, but uh, I'm sure you're cooking up something else right now. You've probably been at it for over a year. I know how this works. Uh, but you can't talk about it for another two years or so. But we will be here to do that very thing. So if you want to come back, do that on the Sausage Factory. And by all means, you're very Thank welcome. You for having us. It's been great. Yeah. yeah. It's been awesome. Thank you very much, Chris. Yeah. So in the meantime... Thank you. Thank you. You have been listening to the Sausage Factory podcast, part of the Cane and Rinse Collective. Support us for just two US dollars per month at patreon.com forward slash Cane and Rinse for early, extended, and exclusive podcasts. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Twitch, YouTube, and at our website, caneandrinse.com.